Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me in the other line is my good buddy Jonathan Willis. Jonathan, what's going on, man? Always good to be here, Dimitri, especially when we can talk playoffs. Yes, yeah. This is the. I think. I think this is like my favorite time of the year. It's like right before the first round, and then we're recording this on a, on a Tuesday afternoon. The playoffs start tomorrow on a Wednesday when people will probably be listening to this, and there's going to be five games on, and it's just like the first round's the best because of that because you're just bouncing back and forth between the games. They actually stagger them properly, and everything is just everything is the way I want it, basically. Yeah, if you're if you're just like nuts about watching good hockey, then this is the time of year where you can watch, you know, a minimum one good game a day and a lot of days you can get into and and that's you can't ask for more than that. Yeah, no, you definitely can. Um so yesterday on the show we did the Eastern Conference preview with with Andrew Berkshire and obviously, you know, we started with the with the East Coast bias because uh that's just how hockey media works, but we're going to we're going to do we're going to do our due diligence with the West now and and switch gears and shift our attention there, but before we get into the series by series breakdown, I did want to chat with you quickly about uh the news that broke yesterday with the LA Kings cleaning house and firing both Daryl Sutter and Dean Lombardi. Um you know, there there was speculation out there that this was going to happen and the writing was on the wall, but I think it was still a bit surprising just to see them uh, actually pull the trigger on it, considering how much success the two of them have had in LA over the years. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think anytime, well, and and the fact is with a lot of these things, you generally see the general manager being given a chance to switch out the coach or do something else before they uh, they move on him as well, and the fact that they went with such a total overhaul, and and when you when you look at this team and you think that a lot of the things about this team are similar from when they were winning cups, still like they're still a dominant shot metrics team. It makes you wonder just a little bit if if this is in fact the the right approach for LA to be taking. Hmm. Well, I understand the idea that listen things got a little stale with them. Obviously, I mean, yeah. they've missed the playoffs two of the past three seasons. Last. Last year, they lost to a really good team in the Sharks, but they definitely looked pretty outclassed by them. So, I mean, they have one playoff win to show for the past three years, and it makes sense that they'd want to do something. I, I think that we got to, you know, they're going to be lumped together here because of, you know, they worked together for so long and, and they got fired at the same time. But I kind of want to break this down one by one because I think that Sutter is a very interesting coaching candidate now all of a sudden. I mean, you look around the league and, you know, maybe he wouldn't necessarily fit on a team like Dallas just based on their personnel and the way they'd like to play. But I don't know, like, is there a team in particular that you think he'd be a natural fit for? Like maybe maybe Florida? I'm, I'm not sure. What do you think? I was actually thinking about Florida. Excuse me here. Um, I was actually thinking about Florida just because they they do have – there's their young team – but they're they're also the kind of team that would really embrace the uh, the, the shot dominance that Sutter espouses. Like I, I know that Dale Talon's now in charge there again, but even so, it's a team that uh, is going to place some value on those metrics and the things that Sutter just does really well. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that there's necessarily a bad fit for Sutter. I, I think Dallas wouldn't necessarily be a bad fit for him either. But you know, it, it isn't necessarily 
an obvious one. But to me, he's just he's one of these guys who is obviously a top 10 NHL coach, quite probably a top five NHL coach even. And uh, you, you, it's hard to go wrong hiring that kind of quality. Yeah, it's interesting because he is like the perfect blend of he's been around the game for so long. He's considered a, a conventional old school hockey guy. But then his teams have also just done all the stuff that people like you and I would really like. And and I think, you know, there's this misconception. Like if you look at this roster right now, it's really not uh, that talented of a group. Like the fact that they were able to dominate the puck as much as they were and just stay uh, as dominant as they were at 515 these past few years, considering uh, how little talent there was and, and, and what their bottom six and, and, you know, third pairing look like and stuff like that. Like, I think he really squeezed everything he could out of that team. And that's why I'm, I'm big on him. I'm, I'm much more skeptical about Dean Lombardi and his future in this league. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's built winners and he's done well with, with San Jose and LA now. So I'm sure that if he wants to stay in the game and work with a team, he's going to get the chance to do so. But I think that the past few years, uh, have me raising a lot of questions about him and whether he's actually a very good GM or whether he just got a bit fortunate with a few moves that fell in his lap with the, with the Blue Jackets kind of panicking and just gift wrapping him guys like Jeff Carter and Marion Gabrick. Well, it's, um, I, I know we talk about loyalty a lot and loyalty contracts. I, I think we've seen the difference between somebody like Lombardi in LA and somebody like Bowman in Chicago the last couple of years. Um, Lombardi seemed incapable of making the tough decisions that had to be made with guys who are useful pieces, no question of his, his strong teams, but as they got older and as they got more expensive, he, he wasn't able to uh, divorce himself seemingly from that success. And you look at the contracts that LA has signed the last few years. For that matter, you look at some of the trades, you look at the Ben Bishop trade at the deadline. Mm-hmm. Um, it It's hard if you ignore what happened prior to that to build this team from the ground, it, it becomes very difficult to to justify uh, to to make a case for him as a or, you know a really top flight GM just based solely on his work the last few years. Yeah, and that's not even bringing up uh, the entire mess with the Team USA World Cup roster and all and all, <laughs> all his comments and the methodology that went into building that group. But no, you're right. I think that you know one of the main skills that uh, a GM or a front office executive can have in this league is being able to take a step back and critically evaluate what they have uh, in their own, basically in-house, because sometimes it's really tough to divorce yourself from getting too attached to stuff and being able to evaluate stuff in a critical manner. And, and you just look the past two years, like I think everyone looking from the outside would have said, yeah, you know, this team desperately needs skill and it needs speed. And it all he really did was went out and, you know, he traded for Milan Lucic and okay, fine. At least Lucic was a, is a really good player. But then you go like 36 year old Vinny Cavalier, 39 year old Jerome McGinley, Rob Scuderi, Luke Shen, Ben Bishop, as you mentioned, it's like all this stuff that just doesn't really add up. Like it, it, it's mind blowing to me a little bit that someone could look at that roster and think those are the pieces they needed to get over the hump. So I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very skeptical that, you know, if I was running, if I was, uh, responsible for hiring someone right now to run my team. I, I'm not sure that I'd be looking at Dean Lombardi. So I don't know. It, it, it's tough. I, I, I'm sure we'll have a lot of time to talk this summer about the Kings, but they've got some fascinating decisions on their hands. So let's move on to the Western Conference bracket. And we'll start with the Edmonton Oilers versus the San Jose Sharks. Um, I don't know. How do, how do you how do you want to go about attacking this series? Because there's, there's so many different angles we could take. <laughs> um should we should we start with San Jose's injuries and uh, drop off the last little while here? Yeah, I, th- I think that that definitely is the elephant in the room because we still don't necessarily know. I mean, I think they're both Logan Couture and Joe Thornton are practicing with the team, but we just don't know a if they're going to be able to play, and if they do, are they going to be anything resembling the guys that the Sharks need them to be to to have the type of run they had last year, basically. Yeah, that's just it. Like, I mean, Joe Thornton can probably play with a banged up knee, but, you know, you look at his age, you look at the way he's he's kind of slowed down the last few years, and I, I say that with all due respect to Thornton. Mm-hmm. But, you know, how effective is he going to be going head-to-head with Connor McDavid at, you know, 65 or 70% if, if that's what ends up happening? I, I think it's a real shame because this is, to me, in a lot of ways, just a very good San Jose team, um, a team quite reminiscent... Uh, of last year's club that went to the Stanley Cup final 
and they're going into the first round down their first two, their top two centers. And even with all the center depth that San Jose has, you know, like Pavelski can play the middle, Hurdle can play the middle, uh, even Patrick Marlowe can play up the middle. Even with that kind of depth, you just don't replace those guys. You can't replace a Couture or a Thornton, let alone both of them at this time of year. And um, I wonder if that just means, like, if, if San Jose can get by the first round and those guys are healthy, I like them a lot. But I just don't see how they do it with, with those guys on the shelf or, you know, at, at 65 70%. Yeah, I think that that's one of the reasons why I really hated picking this series. Uh, you know, you, my, you, myself, uh, Andrew Berkshire and Steve Birch, we were asked by Sportsnet to put together our brackets and answer a few questions, you know, in terms of dark horses and who, where our brackets can be busted and, and so on and so forth. And this series was one that I, I really had a tough time with because I feel like we don't have enough information to make a decision that I feel confident in just because like I, I, we both picked the Oilers, but I can't help but feel like we're being a little overly reactionary or it could wind up looking like that in hindsight because I spent the, the first, what, 60, 65 games this year thinking that the Sharks were, for my money, the best team in the Western Conference. You looked up and down the lineup. They, this summer, they shored up their biggest needs by bringing in David Schlemko and replacing Roman Polak. Uh, you know, they acquire Yannick Hansen, who fits perfectly on this team at the deadline. And all of a sudden, everything's coming together. And then they have these injuries. They struggle in the final couple weeks of the season. And it's very, I can very easily see two weeks from now us having a discussion and being like, wow, we, uh, we really should have just stuck to our guns and believed in the Sharks because they look damn good. And, and so that, that's why like, I, I feel very uneasy picking the Oilers in this series. <laughs> yeah, I, if, um, if Couture and Thornton can come back and be effective, then this is, there's no reason this team can't win the West. I, I agree entirely. You, you know, like a couple of months ago, I, when I, around the trade deadline, you always get into this thing where you're looking at who, who's a real contender, who, can, who should be making moves and be, be aggressive and who should not be. And, and when I looked at the various divisions across the league, to me, the Pacific was San Jose, and then a big drop-off to Anaheim, Edmonton, Calgary, and L.A. Mm-hmm. All of those four teams having good things going for them, but just not being on the same level as the Sharks in terms of balance and ability to dominate all areas of the game. But, and that, that really is, to me, what it comes down to with the Sharks team, is you know if they're healthy, there, there isn't anybody in the West that I'd pick to beat them, but if, if they aren't, you know, like this could be a four or five game series, even not that I'm, I go that far. I think I have it listed as six and, mm-hmm. uh, and nothing would surprise me. But, but if the, if those guys are out, like, I just don't see how you get past, you know, that McDavid matchup without a first line center who can go head to head to him with him. Yeah, no. And that's a good segue here because I think that leading up to this series, I imagine that, uh, Pete DeBoer and his staff are probably spending, uh, every single possible minute and they're probably not sleeping very much just having nightmares about how they're going to try to slow down Connor mcdavid who's playing uh, absolutely exceptional hockey and has looked like the best player this season in the league and i think that you know he obviously won the art ross already i think he's gonna take home the heart as well and i think it starts obviously with a guy like mark edward vlasic who's going to be tasked with trying to shadow him i know that uh Tyler Dello has his own um, quality of competition measure, and I think Vlasic played tougher competition this year than anyone in the league, so he, he's used to it. Um, and then it's just going to be on that. I'm not sure what you really do to slow down McDavid. I mean, I, I wrote that, you know, in the NBA during Michael Jordan's heyday, they had the uh, the Jordan rules where the, the bad boy Pistons were trying to just rough him up and, and uh, slow him down that way physically. And I think that we're going to see the Sharks try to do that here quite a bit, just kind of banking on the strategy that, well, the refs can't possibly call every single infraction. So we're just going to try and commit as many of them we can and, and try to get away with it that way. Like, that's the only possible... Uh, possible approach that i can think of to slowing this guy down at this point well and that that kind of falls in with what elliot friedman said the other night on uh hockey night in canada that you know if he's playing against mcdavid he's taking i, I think he said uh five infractions and hoping the refs only catch the one mm-hmm. and, and we every year we see the standard of officiating slip in the postseason i think i think that's fair to say I, that shouldn't be too controversial nope. So that is a strategy that will be more effective in the playoffs than it has been or would be in the regular season. Um, Vlasic certainly gives them a fighting chance, even with their problems up front, their injury problems up front. I, I think he has sort of taken the mantle from Zdeno Chara as the NHL's best pure defensive defenseman. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 
I, I have just an insane amount of respect for Vlasic, and it's going to be fascinating to watch that matchup. But uh, I, I feel a little bad for him because I, I know I certainly wouldn't want that job. Yeah, well, I remember it really stuck out uh, last year. I mean, obviously, you know, he'd played for Team Canada, and, and everyone was familiar with his abilities as a defensive defenseman. But last year, during their during their run to the Stanley Cup final, it was just really kind of eye opening to see how much other teams respected him because. After a while, like you'd you'd see opposing forwards just actively going out of their way trying to attack Justin Braun on the other end of the ice, who's a perfectly uh, fine defenseman in his own right, just to stay away from Vlasic and his reach and his ability to to maintain the gap on those zone entries against. And I guess McDavid is the one guy who's just pure skill and speed could potentially uh, give Vlasic more problems than any other guy could. But I don't know. It'll, it'll be interesting to see. I think you're definitely right about. Uh, the refereeing and the officiating slipping in the playoffs or, or just it being a different standard. Because I know that I, when I was writing this article, I looked at it and the frequency of penalty calls slips in the postseason. And that seems to be counterintuitive with how, uh, the NHL playoffs are billed as this sort of rough and rough and tumble, uh, aggressive back and forth game. So you'd think that there'd be more penalties if anything, but it, it definitely seems like officials, uh, make a point of putting their whistles away and letting the guys play, which would benefit the Sharks in this series a little bit. I also, um, you mentioned Vlasic on zone entries, and I think that's an area where uh, we can talk about San Jose having a little bit of advantage here just because of the way Edmonton's structured. Um, when you look at Edmonton's top line, you've got Connor McDavid at center and uh, and Leon Dreisaitl on right wing, which means that you know a lot of times Dreisaitl and McDavid are going to be the two guys coming in on the left shot defenseman. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and I say this with all due respect to Patrick Maroon, who you and I have both talked about, a lot, a lot about and and in a positive manner this year because yep. he's had a great year. But if Patrick Maroon's the guy, you know, going head to head with Justin Braun, that's not quite the same imbalance. Like McDavid Maroon, there's a there's a downgrade there versus trying to or trying to hold those guys off versus trying to hold off McDavid Drysital. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Vlasic's a, a left shot defenseman probably does San Jose. Uh, some favors in that regard. Absolutely. Um, the other storyline that I'm fascinated with in this series is. Let's let's assume that the Sharks are relatively healthy and 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 they have all their guys in tow. Um, you know their trademark would be just having uh, immense depth up front, especially throughout their lineup, and having really three or four lines if they if they're playing the right guys who can be threats whenever they're on the ice to to score a goal or at least help kind of keep the puck in the offensive zone and keep the cycle moving. Uh, with this Oilers team, so much of it has been on McDavid's plate and and he's been up to the task, but I wonder if the Sharks are firing on all cylinders, do the Oilers have enough beyond McDavid's line with Dreisaitl to keep up with them? Because there's only so much time McDavid can actually spend out there on the ice. And obviously it helps a bit that Lucic and Eberle have both turned it on of late. I think that a, a couple games to end the year against the Canucks will do everyone good in terms of being confidence boosters and getting some points and goals on the board. But I don't know, like, do you think that as that line has started to play better, all of a sudden this Oilers team has a better chance of actually going shot for shot with, with, with a deep sharks team or do you think it's still going to be just a lot of uh just kind of hold your nose and hold your breath until mcdavid's line is back out there yeah that that's the great the grand question for the oilers because i think a, a good team can beat them on depth um nugent hopkins lucic and Eberle have been the second line for uh probably since the trade deadline and they've played a lot much much better than they did early in the year um Eberle and lucic in particular have had just just well, all three of those guys, and we can toss Benoit Pouliot in there too, have had awful years in, in a lot of ways. Lucic has gotten away with it because he's been so good on the, the McDavid-led power play, which is uncharacteristic for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, at five on five, this is a problem the Oilers have had this year, that secondary scoring has not been consistent. There's some reason to think that'll change. Um, Pouliot's played better since coming back. That second line, as we mentioned... But uh, Todd McClellan has a bit of a history of doing this, of loading up his top lines and, um, and getting beat a little bit further down the lineup. And I think the Oilers are, are very much susceptible to that. Uh, Mark Letestu is their third-line center right now. Due respect to him, and he's a very good special teams guy, but that's not a position you're totally comfortable with. Uh, David Darnay was supposed to fill that role. He really hasn't. And it, and it goes to the back end, too. Um, Earlier in the year, it looked like the Oilers were going to be able to run three decent defense pairings, but 
Matt Benning uh, took a nasty hit from Victor Stahlberg in a game against Carolina mm-hmm. and has just not been the same since coming back. I, I believe he was out with a concussion um, off the top of my head. I I'd have to check that to be totally sure. But uh, he hasn't been the same, and their third pairing has been a real weak spot, even right up to game 82. They had some slips against Vancouver, and, and that was part of the problem. So I think this is a team that has some exploitable weaknesses at the bottom end of its lineup, both at forward and on defense, and that is how you beat them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and that, that that's huge come playoffs. And I'm sure that uh, as we get into some of these other series, that that's going to be a kind of a common theme of being able to... Uh, to limit your weaknesses and your abilities to be exposed by the other team. So um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this series. I think it's going to be a, a fascinating back and forth, and it, I really could see it going either way, which is, I think, uh, a good place. And it's, it's a good place for us to, to pivot here to another series that I think is going to be uh, just a doozy, and that's the Blackhawks versus the Predators. And I think that I, I, you picked the Blackhawks, right? I did. Yeah, I did as well. I, I did it in seven games, and honestly uh, – I really could have gone either way. I think that, you know, I noticed that the series price for this was Blackhawks minus 190. And if that doesn't mean anything for some of you out there listening, here's some context. It basically means that uh, Vegas considers the Capitals to be uh, like the biggest favorite in round one. And then the Blackhawks are the second biggest favorite. And I think that that is something I can't get behind because even though I did pick the Blackhawks, I think it's much more of a, of a tight coin flip that could go either way as opposed to uh, just being kind of callously saying the Blackhawks are going to win because they have this track record and they have the name value and they won a lot of regular season games. I think like it, it, this is a very, very close series and I'm, sure, I'm not sure that enough people are giving it credit for being that. Yeah, it's... Um, I- I've written about Chicago this year. I, I think they do have some weaknesses. Having said that, like if you look at the last 25 games, and this is ultimately what decided it for me, mm-hmm. but if you look at the, the score-adjusted shot metrics over the last 25 games, Chicago's a top-five team in the NHL again. I look at the roster, I have no idea how Joel Quenville's getting <laughs> that kind of performance yep. out of this. Like It it, it baffles them. It's, it's mind-boggling. Nashville's, I, I like Nashville a lot. But the other thing that decided this series for me is that Nashville's going to run Pekka Rene in net. And yeah, sometimes he gets hot, but sometimes he gets cold. And when he's cold, he's really bad. Um, I'd, I'd much rather have Corey Crawford in net. And you combine that with the other things that Chicago has going for them. And um, I, I really like Nashville, but this this wasn't, a t- and ultimately, this wasn't that tough of a series for me to call. Hmm. Well, I think there's a few things on unpack here. I definitely agree that... I think Joel Quenville, I'm not sure whether he's going to get the love. Uh, he should absolutely be a Jack Adams finalist, and I would be perfectly fine with him actually winning it. I know that you know Mike Babcock's going to get a lot of love for taking that young Leafs team and having this amazing turnaround this season. But I mean, if you just... Well, hang, hang on, hang on. Just to, just to save us some trouble down the road, mm-hmm. we should also mention John Tortorella. <laughs> oh, well, I, I mean, are you, are you sure it's John Tortorella and not just Sergei Bobrovsky? <laughs> Either or, but uh, I, I, I want to save us from getting any heat from Columbus fans yeah. for, for sliding their uh, their Jack Adams candidate coach. Fair, fair. Um, but listen, like they have all these young guys that have come up and, and they've had to because they have this model where they're paying their top guys such a large percentage of the cap that they got to make it work where they can on the margins. And a lot of guys have been establishing themselves, Nick Schmaltz, Vinny Henestrosa, Tanner Kiro, and I think my personal favorite of the bunch, and someone who... I could absolutely see having some memorable playoff moments, even even as soon as this year, is Ryan Hartman. Um, but I think the big key here for Chicago is, like, we know what we're going to get from the Kane, Anisimov, Panarin combination. They're going to be deadly. They're going to, out of nowhere, create a bunch of scoring chances and goals. And that's a, that's a lock. I think that the big difference why this team has taken this step up in the past 25 games, as you mentioned, is that... Jonathan Taze has really come alive, and the combination of him, Schmaltz, and Richard Panic. Uh, I don't know if people notice this, but they're, they're like a 55% Corsi pairing, uh, 55% expected goals, and it's even higher in terms of in terms of Fenwick. So they've basically been been killing it at five on five together, and all of a sudden having that second line where other teams can't now just load up on that one combination. They got now they have different problems to deal with. That makes the Blackhawks such a more difficult team to uh, to go up against in this series. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty fascinating development because Nick Schmaltz has been um, 
I've kind of kept an eye on him all year. I, I agree with you that Ryan Hartman's the guy of those sort of uh, the new wave Blackhawks that you really like. Mm-hmm. I think Hartman's the most interesting of them, but um, Schmaltz has been so up and down, and then him and Taves getting together, it just seems to have clicked. Mm-hmm. I, I I can't help but feel a little bit skeptical. I, I know he has the draft pedigree, but I, I look at what he's done away from Taves, and I go, is this guy for real? Can this line, you know, if you, if you have this line grinding against top lines of a, a playoff caliber opponent are is it going to be effective but uh, there's no question that it's worked in the regular season yeah i think uh you know looking at it from the predators perspective uh, i've been saying all year that i think that they i've been saying that i like the sharks the most in the western conference but i think the predators have the highest ceiling where if everything comes together for them like you, if you squint hard enough you can see uh just an absolutely lethal team that can come at you in waves and and has the top end talent but also the depth to really just be a, a relentless attacking team especially uh how peter Laviolette likes to have them playing and i don't know i i i think that it's tough with the with the Pecorine factor because as you mentioned, he was really, really good in, in March and April. I think in thirteen starts, he was like a nine thirty save percentage guy or something like that, and it bumped up his year long save percentage to, to nine eighteen, which is actually you know, pretty decently above average for, for where the rest of the league is at this season. But then you look in the past two postseasons, he's down to nine oh nine and nine oh six in twenty games and I think that just raises the question of how short a leash do you have with him? Because if he comes out of the gate and struggles and the Blackhawks light him up in the first few games, do you think we see UC Soros and, and do you think Laviolette gives him a chance to make a name for himself? I, I I wonder if you know the success of someone like Matt Murray last season, maybe that makes it more palatable for Peter Laviolette to be able to to sell the move and rationalize it to both his team and the fan base just being like, Well, we, we just saw last year how this can this can work for a team, so let's why don't we just try to try to do something else? Because I do think that ultimately UC Soros gives them a much higher ceiling and, and likelihood of winning than what Peggy Rene can do at this point of his career. Yeah, um, I, I think that I, I don't know whether or not Laviolette will do it, mm-hmm. and I don't know if he'll be able to sell it if he wants to do it. But I, I do think it's vital that if Renee starts sliding, you got to go away from him. Um, they almost lost in the first round last year. He had, I think, three bad games in a row uh, against Anaheim, and then in San, he was great for four games against San Jose, and that series was tied up and didn't know which way it was going to go and then he was quite bad the last three games so i mean that's two fairly long playoff slides in two rounds of play last year and it's the same thing this year like he you met he's there's five months this year where renee's played 10 or more games mm-hmm. and in three of them he's got a 920 or better save percentages save percentage and in two of them he's got an 890 or worse save percentage like there's there seems to be no middle ground with this guy he's either on or he's off and uh I, and I probably have to turn in my analytics. I, I feel like I'm an old school guy saying this, you know, talking about consistency and, and all this stuff. And I have to turn in my analytics card. But um, I, he's just one of those guys that I, I think if I, I really feel like if stuff starts sliding on him, you got to get away from him because he will drag you down. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um I don't know. Like, so you, you, you said you feel pretty confident with the Blackhawks. Like, what would... What's the blueprint here for the Nashville Predators to um, to pull out this series victory here? Is it just like like what I said? Like if they play up to their capabilities and everything's firing on all cylinders, they can do it. Like I don't like like what what would have to change for you to to you know recalibrate or be surprised by their by their output in the series? Well, um, I, I'm going to get off Renee here in a second, but mm-hmm. if, 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 they, if they get goaltending, <laughs> right. like that's 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 job one, right? But I think the other thing for Nashville, like you mentioned, they can come in waves at you. Um, P.A. Parento hasn't been a great fit since the trade deadline. I like him a lot. I think he can play. I, I think when you look at their bottom six, there's there are some ingredients there. Mm-hmm. And they have the top four on defense where they can match. Um, you know, they can handle both of Chicago's top two lines. Uh, defensively, they've got the guys who can match up against them. So as long as they can get some offense from their bottom six and, uh, you know, really exploit the fact that Chicago does not have the depth that it has generally had in years past that that's I think the uh, the ingredients for a bit, uh, Nashville win it's sort of sort of the opposite of San Jose it's this time it's Chicago the fake who I think everybody will recognize as probably the favored team they're the team that has the depth issues and and it's just up to Nashville to you know hold the line against their top six and and exploit those uh, those bottom lines 
Yeah, yeah. Um, much like Victor Arvidsson kind of burst onto the scene last year in the playoffs, even though he was only playing 10 to 12 minutes a night during their run. Um, and a guy like Kevin Fiala, uh, I think right now he's playing on that third line with P.A. Parento. I think that if he's unleashed a bit, he could really uh, get some get some mainstream love and attention and, and really wow people. So he's definitely a name to watch for me. Um, let's hear from our sponsors real quick, and then we'll pick up on the other side with the with the remaining two series. Let me give all of you a quick heads up about SeatGeek, who have been kind enough to both sponsor the show and also provide those of you who aren't skipping past the segment essentially some house money to work with. It's pretty sweet being a sports fan these days. Uh, the baseball season's underway, and most importantly, the NBA and NHL playoffs are finally here. If you've been waiting around for the right opportunity to go check out a game and enjoy the live experience of being in a building with a bunch of other crazed maniacs with similar interests screaming their heads off, this is as good a time as any to do so. SeatGeek can help you do just that. They've got a really handy mobile app that requires only a few clicks to find the best values on tickets that are out there. And when you finally pick something out to your liking, they'll even provide you with a $20 rebate to use on future ones as well. To get your own $20 rebate on tickets, all you have to do is download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, enter the promo code PDO, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. All you've got to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO today and you'll get those $20. Now let's get back to the show. All right, let's uh, let's hammer through this Minnesota Wild St. Louis Blues series. Um, th- I think this was the one series. I mean, in the East, uh, I felt pretty confident taking Boston over over Ottawa, but out west, I really struggled with the other three series. This was one where I was pretty quick to to pencil Minnesota in. Um, do you think that was foolish on my part, or do you think that it was justified? <laughs> I, I tell you, I hated this exercise of filling out my bracket this mm-hmm. year. It, this is, I, it's just, it's so wide open. Um, so I, I, as soon as you say that I'm compelled to go, Oh, but St. Louis does all these things. <laughs> right. Dimitri. I, I agree with you. I think Minnesota's the favorite. I think um, probably by a, a significant margin, St. Louis is down about a full percentage point in, in score adjusted shot metrics since they traded Kevin Shattenkirk. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they still, I mean, they still have Pietrangelo and Pareko, so, you know, they can run two really good uh, defense pairings. And they brought back Vladimir Sabotka, who I've always just loved. Um, but Minnesota has too much going for it. To me, it's just more a matter of Minnesota is is actually a fairly strong team. Even, even um, I, I know they haven't been an analytics darling all year, but the last 25 games, they've been tremendous by any, any shot metric you like. And... Uh, there's just so much going for them there. I don't see how St. Louis beats. Yeah, I didn't really notice that until I started preparing for this series because I know that you know Minnesota fell off a bit just in terms of the the win and point pace they were on earlier in the year when they were winning a lot of games and somehow and everyone was wondering how because their underlying numbers weren't that good. But especially if you cut it down to since the trade deadline, I think that's like about just under 20 games or so. Uh, they're a league leading 55% shot share team. And I, I didn't really notice that until I started doing this exercise. And, and you look at the blues and they're under 50% and they're down like 18th in the league. And that's a pretty, pretty wide gap that we wouldn't necessarily expect from these two teams if you were just looking at the full season picture. And I think that's why uh, people like you and I prioritize breaking the season down into smaller segments because things do change and our expectations should uh, change accordingly and and you know at the time of around the trade line i remember that i was very skeptical of of the marty hansel trade not because i don't think he's a good player but because they paid such an exorbitant price to get him but you look at what it's done to this team and all of a sudden he slots slots in as their third line center it moves charlie quill to the wing it allows other guys to fall into place and now all of a sudden they're just they've been a dominant team at five on five pretty much ever since he came into their lineup so it's kind of hard to argue with the results and i think i'm 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 pretty bullish on them at this point just because of everything they have going with them going for them from the coaching to the personnel to the goaltending even though dubnik's fallen off a bit i'm still a big big fan of his game so i just don't really see too many flaws with this team whereas with the blues ever since the ever since they got rid of um kevin shanker the deadline they're just they seem a bit toothless to me like they, they've been bolstered by the fact that jake allen pulled himself out of the gutter and has a 938 save percentage in 25 starts since february 1st but i don't think that's necessarily truly indicative of who he's at who he is as a goalie and what he's going to be capable of moving forward so as soon as if they stop getting that type of goaltending i think they're going to be exposed quite a bit and this minnesota team will just be able to overwhelm them uh, after a certain point in time 
So this is this is where I get to take my victory lap for for being the the lone guy on the internet who who kind of liked the Marty Hansel trade for Minnesota, mm-hmm. right? Like I do I, remember I that. Yep. Shout out the the horns here and everything. Um, yeah, I they've uh, I didn't expect the turnaround to be as dramatic as it has been, and of course you can't put it all down to Hansel either. But um, Minnesota was the team that was winning early with shooting percentage and just insane goaltending from Dubnik. And now they're the team that's been, you know, kind of mediocre for a little while, but in large part because Dubnik's fallen off and the shooting percentage has slid backwards a little bit. But uh, coming into the playoffs as maybe the league's most dominant, as you mentioned, uh, shot share team, you, you kind of look at this Western Conference, and, and to me, Minnesota is the, the clear favorite. Like, not that, you know, they can't lose or anything like that, but... Uh, I don't think there's anybody close to them, like super close to them. You make a case for Chicago or San Jose, uh, depending on what happens. But um, Minnesota is my favorite to come out, and, and St. Louis is is good. But they're just there's no, there's not a lot special about St. Louis at, at this this season. Yeah, yeah. I, I what's okay. So we we just did this exercise with with the Predators. Ah, what's the blueprint for the Blues beyond Jake Allen just staying on this? Uh, epic run he's on and 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 just stopping everything in sight like i i imagine it would probably uh involve a lot of vlad tarasenko just going supernova and being the best player in the series which i i guess is feasible but i i like beyond that i'm not i'm not sure uh i can't really point to a lot of things and be like oh well if you know a b and c happen here and there's realistic they'll happen all of a sudden i can see the blues winning like that, that, that that's ultimately where i'm at with the series yeah um I'm trying to make a case, and it's it's uh, it's a difficult thing to do. Uh, I, I don't know how. I, I think this is one where if if Jake Allen doesn't steal the series, I don't see how the Blues. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that's fair, and and I, that kind of scares me because uh, you know I I, I I feel like I'm very strong and vocal in my opinion that I think the Wild are going to win this series, and then all of a sudden you know just how hockey and the playoffs work. Next thing we know, Jake Allen's going to be out of his mind. And he's going to the Blues are going to win this in five games. So we're going to be like, what the hell just happened there? Uh, <laughs> Who, who's the Who's the coach who used to say you shouldn't call it hockey? You should just call it goalie. <laughs> it, it, it's, yeah, I feel like it's Harry Neal because Harry Neal always has the great lines. Mm. But, uh, some old coach had that line anyway. Yeah, I mean. Listen, right now, uh, I have Bruce Boudreaux playing the Capitals in the Stanley Cup final, and I think that someone needs to just slap me in the face and talk me out of it because there's no, <laughs> there's no way, there's no way something like that good and juicy is actually going to happen. Uh, it, it just seems too good to be true. I, I did a radio interview this morning, and uh, he had it as Chicago versus Washington, and I told him that he just wasn't a good enough hack sports writer because if he was, he'd clearly be pulling for Boudreaux versus Washington. That's how you have to script it out. Yes. Um, unfortunately, you, I'm probably a bad guest for you because that's that's how I have it written out too, and uh, I, I'm not the guy to talk you out of it. You should <laughs> add uh, add me to the East and have. Um, I don't know what did what did Berkshire have? <laughs> I think I think Berkshire was really high on the Predators actually. So oh yeah, I yeah, have he was too. Yeah. Nashville, Washington. That yeah. would have been. Uh, there you go. He he could have talked you out of it. Well, this is this is riveting podcasting. I, you, you telling me that I, you're the wrong guest and that I should have redone these two shows. Uh, no, it's. Uh, I, I think it's going well, and I, th- I think that I think we're both perfectly justified in our uh, our love of, of the wild here and fully acknowledging that. The playoffs are uh, an unpredictable animal, and anything can happen. Um, let's let's move on to the final series here, the Ducks and the Flames. And I think this is like one of the only ones where you and I actually differed because I, after a lot of consternation and, and agonizing back and forths, went with the Ducks. You went with the Flames. Um, talk to me about why you ultimately went uh, the way you did. Well, it. Uh... It seemed a shame not to uh, include at least one semi-controversial thing, and I'll admit that that's that's part of what drove that decision. But to me, it really was a coin flip of a series, and and we've we've hit on this over and over and over again. We're going to do it again. Injuries in Anaheim. Mm-hmm. So Cam Fowler is uh, certainly gone for the first round. Um, two, I, I believe he's two to six weeks. Is it two to six weeks? Something he, like he's that. gone for the first round for sure. Yeah. So they don't have Cam Fowler. Um, Hampus Lindholm missed three of the last four games of the regular season. Uh, Sammy Votnin missed a bunch of time towards the end of the season. Clayton Stoner's out. Simon Dupre's out. Um, I don't believe Corbinian Holzer is with the team. And when we talk about Corbinian Holzer, we're getting to a point where you 
you know, like uh, this is this is scary talk time that we should even mm. be mentioning his name. Yeah. So Anaheim's going to go into this series with their top three defensemen either banged up or out of the lineup. And I look at what Calgary's done down the stretch. I look at the way that the Goudreau Monahan line has come alive. Um, the the Froelich Backlund uh, line uh, Kachuk line has been one of the best second units in the league this season. I don't think you'd get much argument on that. They've they've helped carry the flames even when Gaudreau and Monaghan weren't going. And I go, you know, Anaheim has all this defensive depth, but at some point the injuries just become so overwhelming that that very competent flames attack is going to uh, overwhelm you. Yeah. Well, so we mentioned this at the start, top of the show when we were talking about the... Uh the Oilers and I think this is the perfect series to kind of come full circle with it where such a big part of the playoffs is is being able to limit and hide those flaws and because the game's going to slow down teams are going to have more time uh to focus on you and, and prep for for playing against you and trying to pick pick those flaws apart and eventually it's going to wind up coming back to haunt you and and I think with this series both teams have very obvious flaws down their roster and it's just going to be a matter of which which of them does a better job of of uh, protecting those and which one does a better job of exposing it. And I, I think that if you look at this Flames team and the defense is so fascinating <laughs> to me because, as you mentioned, like that Dougie Hamilton-Giordano pairing is uh, like a 50, 58% Fenwick pairing this season at 5-on-5, five five, which is just absolutely preposterous. That's like Patrice Bergeron-level stuff, uh, which you don't often see from defense pairings. But then... You look at the second pairing, and, and TJ Brody and Michael Stone are down at 47%. And then you look at the third pairing with Bartkowski and England, and it's under 44%. And as much as I love Dougie Hamilton and Mark Giordano, they're <laughs> not going to be able to play 60 minutes. So that means there's going to be a lot of stretches where uh, very, very shaky uh, defensemen are going to be out there for the Flames. And if I was a fan of the team, I would be very... Uh, worried about pretty much every single shift, uh, especially the England Bartkowski pairing took. Like, they, I'd, 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 I'd be covering my eyes and just uh, telling my friends to tell me when it was over and I could look again because I think it's going to be pretty ugly. Yeah. Um, when I look at uh, trades that weren't made at the deadline, we've talked about Cody Franzen, and Calgary to me is just a team that's screaming for a guy like Cody Franzen. Um, what I will say about that Brody Stone pairing, and I, I do think that you've identified the key key weakness is the, the bottom two pairings. I kind of think the series is going to hinge on Brody Brody Stone. Although Anaheim, the way Anaheim's structured, they've really embraced this three scoring lines thing. And uh, that makes them a lot more formidable to, to Calgary than they would be with a loaded up top line. Um, but this, this Brody Stone pairing has played pretty tough minutes. So far, the save percentage has allowed them to get away with getting out shot. And but but the toughness of the minutes tells me that, you know, maybe that's a pairing that can 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 squeak through, that can kind of break even. And if they can break even, then the rest of the Flames lineup, you know, as long as uh, Bartkowski and England don't get lit up too too badly, <laughs> um, the rest of the Flames lineup can can push the ball forward enough to to get past the Ducks. Um, and the other thing, sorry, mm-hmm. the other thing that we, we I should mention here too is Brian Elliott. I think is a good goaltender. I think he's much closer to being the guy he has been over the last two months than he is the guy who he's been over the course of the season as a whole, right. and certainly than he has was over the start of the year. And you can get get away with a lot on defense with that kind of goaltending. Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. I think the point you made about the Ducks' attack up front is a very astute one because I've noticed that as the year's gone along, uh, you know, at the start they were really struggling with getting. Uh, those complementary pieces to generate anything. And it was basically pretty much uh, all on, on Getzlaff and Perry in the first line. And if they weren't doing anything and, and if Kessler wasn't scoring goals and all of a sudden they were just kind of uh, out of luck, but they've really spread the wealth now. I mean, the fourth line is still an absolute uh, disaster. You look at that, the Nate Thompson, Logan Shaw, uh, Chris Wagner combination is a sub 40% shot share line. And, and that that's very, very bad regardless of how they're being deployed. So I think that's an issue, but uh, in terms of the three scoring lines, like all of a sudden the addition of Patrick Eves has sneakily given the flexibility to bump Corey Perry down to that third line with Antoine Vermette and, and Andre Kasha. And, even though Perry, you know, you look at his goal totals this year and he didn't even crack 20 goals and you think that 
uh, age is catching up to him and he's declining. I think a lot of it is just the fact that he had very poor uh, luck with getting some bounces to go his way. And, and, you know, he could have very easily scored 25, 30 goals if he'd shot the way he has pretty much for the rest of his career. So I think he's still a very capable goal scorer, goal scorer and a threat. And now you have those three lines and I, Getzlaff just being paired with Ricard Raquel has rejuvenated him and given him given him more life and and really that combination has been deadly as as a pure goal scorer and a, and a pure playmaker working together. So I don't know. I, I I like this Ducks team. I never thought I would have been would have been saying this at the start of the year because I was very skeptical about the summer they had and the coaching. And I still think that the lineup isn't necessarily being fully optimized because they are playing a guy like Kevin Bieksa too much, even though now it's a bit out of necessity because of injuries. But at the same time, it's a little bit of nitpicking because they're much better than I thought they'd be. And and I guess we have to give them a little bit of credit for that. Yeah. And uh, probably I I didn't expect uh, Randy Carlisle to take this tack with the ducks and, you know, full credit to him for doing it. Um, Andre Kasha, who you mentioned, he's been a good fit there. I think Perry being on the third line has been tremendous. And, and like you, I credit the Patrick Eves trade with making that possible. Mm-hmm. Um, Cal Getzlaff's been really good. But that Cogliano-Kessler-Silverberg line has been really solid. We can kind of debate which of those guys is driving it, but right. there's no question that as a unit it works. Yep. And um, just to touch on Perry again, like Perry shot 200, Perry took 215 shots last year and scored 34 goals. He took 215 shots this year and scored 19 goals. He didn't get half as bad at scoring year over year, you know, because he's over 30 all of a sudden. So I I completely agree with you that he's a better player than we've seen this year. And um, yeah, when I look at those, those nine guys, I kind of talk myself into Anaheim being a formidable team, a team that, you know, deserve not only deserves to win the division, but could be a real threat to win the West this year. So I, I totally understand why you would take them over Calgary, especially when you look at those nine guys and you look at the bottom end of Calgary's uh, defense arrangement. It's a, it's a very interesting matchup. Yeah, and I think that you know the numbers necessarily haven't been there so far um, in the limited sample with guys like Brandon Montour and, and Shea Theodore on defense, but... Uh, just based on their pedigree and, and the stuff we've seen them do uh, in the AHL and on their way up to the league, I'm I, I'm so holding out hope for them that they're going to be able to turn it up. And you know, it might not come in this postseason; they might get exposed. But they're definitely interesting players with at least upside. So I don't know. Like I, I like this Ducks team. I think with the with the Flames, um, the addition of Michael Furland on that top line with Johnny Goodrow and, and Sean Monahan has been huge. It's really uh, rejuvenated them, I and I guess it. You know, it, it speaks pretty poorly to Troy Brower that uh, it's made that big of a difference and really made those those two other guys look so much better in comparison. But I, I, when I look at this team, I wonder whether Sam Bennett can give them that tertiary scoring punch that we just discussed the Ducks having because they are going to need that if they're planning on competing with this Ducks team, beating them, and then even going on to the second round and, and, and trying to uh, make a long run here. And they're going to need more from him than he's shown this season. And I'm not sure whether he's capable of it or whether someone else is going to have to step up, but they're going to need more than just those top two lines. Yeah, I, I do think the one thing that's maybe underrated in Calgary a little bit is is the fourth line. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Troy Brower's having a terrible year. I I love Matt Stajan as a fourth-line center. Yeah. Um, I think that gives them the ability to have a little bit of a weaker third line and still match up against teams that have forward depth, just because you can trust that fourth line in some pretty nasty situations. Um, but, but you're absolutely right. They're going to have to find something from that third unit at some point. And uh, Sam Bennett hasn't shown he's been able to do it. Chris Versteeg's looked good in spots, but I, I think Versteeg is more the kind of guy you want as a, a complementary piece on a higher line rather than a guy who is... Um, anchoring a, a depth unit, like I, I just think that's a better use of his skills. I understand why he's not being used that way in Calgary. You can't bump Furland off the top line, and the second line's fantastic. You don't want to mess with that. But they they don't have they haven't found something that works on that third unit yet, and um, they're running out of time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's gonna be a fascinating series. I mean, obviously, the last two, last time these two teams played, there was a a lot of. Uh, extracurricular activities going on. I think it's going to be a very feisty back and forth series. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think this entire Western conference, just to put a bow on, on the show we just did, like it's, it's, as you mentioned, it's a very wide open. I, I could conceivably see 
at least a handful of these teams winning this entire conference, which I feel like you haven't, we haven't been able to say in a long time. And, and that makes it fun as, as fans and analysts of the game to, to watch this because it, it definitely doesn't seem preordained or, or predictable. And it's going to be pretty entertaining to see how it shakes out. Well, I know in previous years, I've kind of looked at the West as uh, the problem with the West was being that there were four or five really great teams, and it was hard to choose between them. This year, it's sort of the opposite problem in that there's eight teams that I think are all pretty good, Mm -hmm. and the teams at the top don't look unkillable. I, I look at Chicago, I look at Minnesota, they're both good teams, obviously, but neither of them looks like this unstoppable colossus to me. And so you get one or two series, uh, you know, stolen by goaltending, and the whole West becomes just this 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 total mess where, with uh, no way of knowing who's going to come out of it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty down on the Blues. Uh, obviously, if they had well, if, they, if they just kept Shattenkirk, I, I I think I'd I, I would honestly say that I could see all eight of these teams winning this conference if everything fell into place and they got the right matchups and maybe some injuries happened down the road. But it's uh, no, it's going to be fun, man. I'm looking forward to it. Um, plug some stuff are you uh have you done any previews have you been doing any writing i know that we did the bracket together but beyond that because obviously everyone has already checked that out and read that and, uh, <laughs> obviously yes are you uh have you done anything else this week to, to kind of get ready for this stuff i am doing a uh, bunch of stuff all over the place i'm actually um just trying to hammer out a couple of things today i, I travel down to edmonton for, for game one of edmonton san jose tomorrow uh so I, i'm just trying to get everything out Probably the best place to go, rather than listing it all individually, is, is just to follow me on Twitter at Jonathan Willis. Absolutely, I recommend that, and uh, enjoy the enjoy the uh, the series in Edmonton, man. It's going to be a it's going to be a really fun one. I was going to say that I think Oilers Sharks might be my favorite, but then I was like, I don't know. I'm pretty excited about uh, about Blackhawks Predators too, and I think the Ducks Flames has a lot of intrigue as well. So it's it's just really tough to to separate one. So I think that uh, I'm just looking forward to the West in general. I think it's going to be great. I, I think Edmonton, San Jose, I, I think it's pretty tough to beat that series, but there, there's there's a lot of good hockey going on. Yep. All right, Jonathan. Well, uh, take care, enjoy it, and we'll get you back on sometime in the playoffs. Yeah, thanks for having me on. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. <laughs>